Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at the subject tonight of how to possess your vessel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice here, I'll read it, read out loud if you follow along there silently. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. Brother Adam, Jr., come on up here. All right, let's try this here. All right. I asked Chris if he wanted to do this demonstration with soccer ball and he said that's my brother he's better that's on record there that was recorded right there Chris <laughs> all right so here there's your ball there Adam I, I, I didn't play soccer except a little bit here and there on the you know on the playground but this guy plays soccer he was playing with the high school when he was in eighth grade right seventh grade he's playing with the high schoolers that's pretty cool so all right um, I'm gonna try to take it okay so you gotta Forget about it. Forget that everybody's watching. Just, you know. So I'm going to try to take it with my feet. And you're going to try to keep it away with your feet. Okay, here we go. See if I can do this. <laughs> Let me have that. All right, get back over. You need a little space here. <laughs> Look at this guy. All right, get around me then. <laughs> go ahead, get around me. You can do it. <laughs> Go ahead, get it. He probably wishes he had a whole field so he could cut maneuver around me, you know. So, all right, let's see if we can get around me again. He wants to, somebody wants to see me break my ankles, right? Oh, he broke his ankles. What's that? Amen to somebody. All right. Do we have a basketball tube that's pumped up, Johnny? No? No? Okay. All right, so I got it. He would do, 
Honestly, if we had an open field, I know he'd do good. He probably would break my ankles. Honestly, I, uh, 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 the old guy, you know, and I'd be twisting and I'll look like a pretzel and Adam would run past me with the ball. So he's possessing the ball. You can go ahead and go. Um, he's possessing the soccer ball there. I remember um, when we were in college, when I was in college, we had a little basketball team. And I've told you about this before. Or I got a lot of experience in losing. <laughs> so we played. Um, we, we, it's funny. We, I guess the good thing is this college I went to still exists. The other colleges we played don't anymore. Some of those like Arizona College of the Bible, Arizona Indian College, uh, Indian Bible College and Flagstaff. I don't, I don't know if that one still exists. Do you know if that one still exists sometimes? Yeah, we played Southwestern College, which is Arizona Christian University now. That was a joke, man. They, we were just like a, we were just, it was sad. But uh, we played them, and we played different colleges. There was one college, actually, that, man, we had a, well, there's a few colleges. I think we may have won two games before. But uh, there was one, there was a couple schools where we had a chance on some of them. And I'm going to tie my shoe while I'm telling this. There's a school, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was called um, Arizona Bible College. I think it was called Arizona ABC. It doesn't exist. It was in Phoenix somewhere. And um, we would play them. And when, I remember when we finally played them, like, oh, they're, not, they're better than us, but man, we got a chance. We can probably beat these guys, you know, when we'd play them in, in basketball. I remember even, they did, we had our own gym. They didn't, they used like the Phoenix School, Day School for the Deaf. I think our, my niece goes there. Uh, they, there was like a day school in Phoenix for the deaf, and they had a gym. They would use that gym, I think it's because they're close to it. And so the college at the time was. So we would play this college in basketball. Our college would play this college. We're both small. I don't even know what we were considered in collegiate something. We were probably considered nothing. They're just two schools that want to play each other and um, so we played and I remember I remember we were playing this one game it was getting pretty it was pretty intense we were we were we were getting pretty close I mean we were getting close we were with, close is like within five or six points that's really close for us and it was toward the end and I'm not I'm just, this is I'm not kidding you I don't know how this works uh I shouldn't say legally, but officially. That's why I don't know what kind of league we're in. But somehow, they fouled out. They were fouling out guys. They were pretty good. They were scrappers. They were fouling out. I don't know how this worked, but they only had four guys left, and they let them play. I don't know how that works. Apparently, it didn't matter for whatever league we were playing in. They were playing four guys against us five, and we still had a few guys on the bench that could play. I'm like, we're going to win this. We're only within five or six points. We're going to beat them, finally. We'll beat somebody. And, um, and they just turned up their intensity. They did a full court press on us with four guys versus five. And they would steal the ball, and then they'd hang on to it. And they were only up by five or six. There was only like a minute and a half left. And I remember thinking, come on, we just got to get the ball make a few shots. And so were the other guys on the team and the coach. Just get the ball make a few shots. You can, you can win it. And, um, and uh, they just, what, the mem my memory was being frustrated because I'm like, there's only four guys, and there's five of us, and we're, we're, you know, not too far off from being as good as they are. And they played keep away. 
It was like, boom, threw it to the next guy, boom. It's like they were just playing keep away from us with four guys versus five, and they are running out the clock, and then they'd maybe take a shot and miss it, or I don't know. We'd get the ball back. They'd press us. Somebody would get it. And then they'd play keep away. And I remember being so frustrated. I'm thinking, and I remember the, the time went out. You know, the, we ran, the clock ran out. They still won by probably five or six points. They won. And I remember when finally the time went out and the game was over, they won. I thought, this is pathetic. There's four guys and we still couldn't beat them, you know, versus five. But I realized that one thing that I remember got was in my mind also, to their credit, was that especially for the last couple minutes of that game, they won because they were able to skillfully keep possession of the ball. They were able to keep possession of the ball. That's why they got a victory over us. They had already had a good edge on us. Um, at least, well, I shouldn't say a good edge. They had a little bit of edge having five or six point lead. And then when their time's running out, they just kept possession. And that's why they won. Now, the Bible says that we should know how to possess something. Verse 4, that every one of you, oh, it's talking to all of us, should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Some of us can't dribble a basketball very well. Um, some of us can't dribble a soccer ball very well. Some of us think we can dribble a basketball well, but, we've but then we've got to remember we've aged. <laughs> Some of us think we can dribble a soccer ball well, and then we get run around, we'll break an ankle. But whether you can dribble a basketball or a soccer ball or hold a football properly or, or whatever or not, whether you can possess those things well or not are not as important as us being able to possess our vessel because that's commanded of God. He doesn't say that every one of you should know how to dribble the basketball, possess the soccer ball, possess the football. God didn't have a sporting goal for all of us. He doesn't have a sporting goal. He has a goal that we should want to embrace with our body. We don't want to be able to possess my vessel, our body. Vessel is another name for your body. The word vessel meant like a, like a vase or a ship, some man-made thing that's not going to last forever. That's what a vessel is. That's what we're living in. Well, it's not man-made, it's God-made, but it's not going to last forever. We need to know how to possess it while we're living this transient life. So, verse 4 says, we must be able to know how to possess it. I want to walk through a few verses here, then ask the question, how do we possess our vessel? Let's back up to verse 1 and think about the words of Paul here. And I want to just make a few comments as we move along here. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Believe it or not, those words right there that we read, you think about them, those words right there contrast with some attitudes in Christianity even. You know there's an attitude that can not, I don't know how dominant it is, but I've seen it and come across it here and there every now and then. There's sometimes an attitude in Christianity that says, you know what? Well, let me back up. Sometimes it's called antinomian. All right? Some of us are like, I don't usually hear that word. It means basically anti-law. 
The idea is, you know what, I don't have to keep any of God's rules. I don't have to keep anybody's rules. I don't have to have standards of my own rules. You know, I know God says, but you know, I'm justified. There's an antinomian attitude sometimes you find in Christianity. And the 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 idea is this. Yes, I understand what Jesus did for me. He died on the cross for my sin. And and he, like what Brother uh, Watson said this morning, that my righteousness, which I have, or his righteousness was imputed on me and my sins imputed on Christ. And there's some who understand that very clearly and claim to accept Christ as their Savior and say, I believe that. I'm justified. Christ took all my sin. I get all his righteousness. In God's view, I'm justified. I'm, in it. I'm innocent of any sin and, or ever will be. And that's true how God describes salvation. The reason you're going to heaven is because God clears you past, present, and future of all your sins because of your faith in Him. That's the only reason you're going to heaven. It's not because of how good you are right now or will be. So there's some, can develop an attitude on some who understand salvation. And they say, yeah, I, I get that, so I'm justified. And, and they, have the, they, they go so far as to, you know, I don't even have to keep, God's moral law doesn't even have any binding on me. God, don't, don't tell me about keeping a law or being, you know, uh, a good person in my life because it doesn't matter. I'm already justified. But notice the words of Paul. He says, we gave you. He says, we, we look at verse 1 again. Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk in the please God. Are you kidding me? You tell me Paul and the apostles are telling people how to live? Yes. He wasn't saying now in a pharisaical way nor in a legalistic way from the standpoint of salvation. He's just saying it as he's because he's an apostle. Hey folks, this is how we should how you should live and please God. No, there's the pleasing of God that's already accomplished from Jesus on the cross for me. But then there's the pleasing of God like pleasing a father. And Paul says, I Paul says to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, remember how he told you how you should live and walk and please God? We want you to abound more and more. We want you to always develop more and more in that mentality of, I want to please God in my Christian life. Look at verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Are you telling me Paul and the apostles gave commandments to tell people how to live? Yep, we gave commandments. Paul must be some kind of legalist. No, he's just an apostle. He's telling people how to live for Jesus. And um, so here's, here's the thing. Paul's saying, listen, um, we want to please God more and more. We, we were teaching you how to do that. We want to give you some more things to show you how to please God more and more and how to um, uh, live a sanctified life. So notice what he says now in verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Let's, take, let's just take a few thoughts on this verse or observations of this verse. The will of God. This is God's desire. What is God's desire for me and for you, all of us? What is it? Now that we're saved, what is His desire? According, What does Paul say? Your sanctification. Now what sanctification is, is not a word you should put away because it's longer than you're normally expected you expect to read. And say, ah, I don't really care about that word. It's for the theology books. No, it's in your Bible. It's meant for you. Here's what sanctification means. It means what God did for us on the cross legally, we should live out practically. It means 
I should live out practically what God has already done for me legally. Legally, God has already said, you're clear, you're free, you're holy and, and, and spotless in my sight. That's what he's justified. That's what justification means. Justification is the act of God to clear you past, present, and future of your sin and declare you righteous. Since that's true, sanctification means live out practically what he already did for you legally, if we could say. So I need to live like I've been made holy. Live like I've been um, set apart and like I'm not of this world because since God saved me, He's like, you're not of this world anymore. You're not like everybody else. You're mine. So I should live like it. Sanctification, it means to be set apart. It means to live out practically what God's done for you legally. So He says, this is God's will that, you, that we live a sanctified life. And then He makes a specific thing that we should abstain from fornication. Look what he says, that you should abstain from fornication. Now I started thinking, I wonder, okay, so fornication, so it's a problem in this day, and it's a problem in this day. The word fornication, uh, you know what, the word, the English word actually uses more letters than the Greek word. Here's how you spell the Greek word. P, I'll say, transliterated, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. That's how you spell it. Pornia. That you should abstain from pornea, which is rhymes, which is similar to the word porn. And I am trying to be careful. I've got all the kids in here today, but porn is, is the bad stuff we're not supposed to look at. And the word, the longer word here is talking about doing those bad things that we're not supposed to do that some people look at. And it's talking about the, the dirty sexual things that we should abstain from. Paul's saying this to the Thessalonians, abstain from that. It was, you know, in, that, in this day and age, they had temples they could go to where they could indulge in that stuff or view that stuff or people they could go to. They had prostitutes and mistresses and temples and all kinds of stuff and, and, um, that accommodated that. Nowadays, you say, we don't have temples like that. We do, in a way, you can make kind of your own temple where you indulge in that stuff, whether it's a movie theater. And I'm not saying it's, you shouldn't go to a movie theater. You should use common sense if you go to one. But you can still indulge in that stuff just like they did, probably more. And so, I, I, don't, I guess what I'm saying is, as we come to this passage, Paul's saying, all right, folks, we wanna, let's, let's, let's think about how we can please God we want to please God by being sanctified and abstaining from fornication and that we should know how to possess our vessel and keep it from that. Well, before I go any further, this thing is a huge problem. This whole idea that I mentioned is a huge problem. And maybe that's all I need to say right now. So how to possess our vessel. So as I was studying this passage, some thoughts jumped out at to, to me about how to possess this vessel that I'm standing in, that you're standing in, that I see from Scripture. Number one, we should govern our body, number one, with an attitude of sanctification. Have an attitude, have a mentality of sanctification that my body is supposed to be sanctified for God. Um, I've used this example, and I think it works well. 
Growing up, my mother had the china cabinet. I don't know if that's what you called it. And then we had the cupboard where there was Tupperware, maybe some glass, maybe some other things that were mismatched, you know. But then in the corner, there was the china cabinet. And when, it, you know, the thing is, this is my experience with the china cabinet. Oh, the dishes are dirty. I don't want to wash any. <laughs> Go to the china cabinet. Grab one of the, those nice bowls. What's that silver ring around there? That's really cool looking. Oh, well, put my oatmeal in there and put it in the microwave and push start. Wow, it's got sparks. It sparks in the microwave because it had a silver ring around it. And my mom find it. What? What are you doing with that? You know, but mom had, mom had <laughs> at that time, you know, got rid of that eventually. But she had the nice, you know, the nice dishes, the nice, I don't know if it was officially China, but we kind of say that as China. Was it? Okay, it was beautiful. And we probably got it out like once or twice a year for Thanksgiving or whatever else. Or, or like I said, I might use one when I didn't want to wash the rest of the dishes. But uh, one thing I never saw, I never saw the china over in the cupboards and the stuff from the cupboards over in the china cabinet. I, I didn't say that. You know why? Because it was sanctified. Set apart. Don't put that stuff. Don't put the nice china that's special over here in the, next to the the common profane Tupperware and that other cheap stuff from Kmart or whatever that's in there. You know, it was separate. And that's what sanctification means. It means we belong in God's china cabinet. We should live like it, not over just in the common values and morals and ways of the world. I'm not making this up. This is God's values. I'm not making up some Baptist philosophy, Baptist standard, legalistic stuff, Pharisee. I'm telling you the Bible right here. People start, when I, sometimes when you preach this stuff, people are like, oh, you're just a Pharisee, you're just legal. No, this is just the Bible. This is just your Bible saying we should be sanctified, we should be different for the Lord, and we shouldn't act like a Pharisee, we shouldn't have a self-righteous attitude, but we should have an attitude of, God wants me to be sanctified. Now, we've got we to gotta keep in mind that, look, okay, listen, okay, yeah, pastor's in a nice uh, a suit tonight and, and everything, and, you know, I, you know, this body's a corruptible body. It stinks. That's why I try to take a shower often, you know. It's going to corrupt of something. I'm going to die of something. I'm a corruptible body. But God says I, when, when I was saved, he, he, he took possession of me, and I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I need to glorify God in my body and my spirit. So, I, so I need to think, even though I have a corruptible body, it's destined for the grave. It's also destined to be changed. And God possesses it, and He wants to do something, and dwells it, and He wants to do something in my life while I'm here. So, you know what? I better just live a sanctified life with this body, no matter what I think of it, it's because of what He thinks of it. And, and embrace the, what I'm saying in this message. Some of us are really big about sanctifying our hands, sanitizing our hands, you know? And we should, and I'm not against that. We have the sanitizer stuff around here, and I try to get my kids to wash their hands before they eat and wash them after they go to the bathroom, right, you know? But how many of us are as tenacious about having other part, our other issues sanctified and sanitized? Again, that's, I think that's the sentiment here Paul's getting to us. So how do I possess my vessel? First of all, a lot of this is attitude. I need to have an attitude of sanctification, for my, for my life and for my body. Number two, I should have an attitude of honor, which is closely related. 
Notice what he says, that every one of you should know how to possess this vessel in sanctification, verse 4 says, and in honor. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess this vessel in sanctification and honor. The word honor means you attribute high value to something. You attribute high value to something. Um, I'll, tell, just, I'll just say this. Ask my wife. I could tell this story. She said it was okay. I don't know if I've told it before, but one time, my first one to tell me this was my brother-in-law. One time, my wife, when she was at this before I knew her, they were at a camp. I don't know if it was the West Branch camp or this other one they went to in, in um, um, New Mexico. <clears throat> they were at camp, and Deb was probably like 13, 14, I don't know. And uh, they're standing in line at the dining hall. You know, it's like lunchtime or whatever uh, at this camp. And they're standing in line, and Deb's, Deb's standing in line, and uh, people are facing this way. Apparently, from the story I heard and from my brother-in-law, and Deb verified this, there was another guy standing behind her. She's facing this way. He's facing this way, and he's doing whatever, talking to his friends and going like this and saying whatever. And, and uh, apparently, he inadvertently, accidentally went like this and hit her in the wrong spot in the backside. And man, she was quick when she felt somebody hit her on that rear end. She knew that wasn't her mom or dad spanking her. So she turned around and jack slapped this guy, boom, like that in the face. And I remember my brother-in-law told me that one time. He's like, dude, one time my sister, somebody, he, wouldn't even, he, wasn't even, he didn't mean to do it. He accidentally hit her on the rear end. She turned around and smacked him. I don't know if he's telling me that to just be like, you watch it, buddy. You know? I don't know if he's saying that, but I'm like, whoa. And so I asked Deb that, and she said, yeah, yeah, I don't think he meant to do that, you know. <laughs> and I think that's what, oh, I'm sorry, you know. He got smacked. This dude got smacked. Well, that's kind of like an, a, maybe a little extreme example, but the idea is that she's thinking, you know, I'm not just going to let anybody touch this body. It's a good attitude to have, girls, guys, all of us, adults. Not that you smack somebody if they accidentally bump into you, but she had a consciousness there as a young lady that was heightened, and I think is, not a, I think is a good thing. For us, have an attitude of honor. <clears throat> For, again, think about our body. Here's the problem. Here's, I have always tell you this. The devil pushes us to one extreme or the other when it comes to our body and our esteem of our body. The devil, on one hand, wants us to think so much of ourselves that we make ourselves a god. You can see some people like, man, that guy worships himself. You can see he's all the evidence that he's worshiping his own body. You know, and if you mess up something on his body, he's upset. You see that, that extreme of my body's, it's not a temple, it's a god, you know. Some people have, the other, the devil wants to push us to what one extreme, or the other extreme where we hate ourselves, we try to slit our wrists and do, do crazy stuff or don't care about our health. He wants to push us to one extreme or the other. But for us, it's like, no, I'm not a God. I'm not going to look at my body like that, nor do I need to destroy it and let the devil have his way on that side either. But it's just, it is a temple, and no matter what I think about it and the value of it or how I think it's been laid out and the floor plan and the elevation look of it, doesn't matter. It's God's. He's, he's dwelling it in it. And so I need to say, well, it's of high value for His sake. 
I need to possess my vessel with an attitude of sanctification, an attitude of honor. And then number three, not as the world does. Look at verse five. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, all right, we need to know how to possess our vessel, have this attitude of sanctification and honor. Don't have the attitude of like the Gentiles have. The lust of concupiscence. Now that's an interesting word. But what it means is to be without restraint. Just all in. It means to dive all into your lust. Salacious is another word. And I don't want to have the attitude of the world as it relates to what I do with my body and how I respond to maybe the carnal appetites I may have. The world says, if you have an appetite, dive in. As long as you don't hurt somebody else. Hey, man, if you don't hurt anybody else, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, as long as you do, if that's what you think is good for you, then it's fine. Then that's what I think is good for me. And as long as you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Well, how about I not do whatever I want anyways and do what God wants me to do and not just dive into all. Man, I, listen, we have the capacity to so messed up, all of us. We're still in the flesh and the old man needs to die every day. And we have, an, we have a capacity of being really, you're like, man, Pastor, that word looks really bad. Yeah, that's what we have the capacity to be, that concupiscence. Yeah. We have the capacity of all that. So I don't want to have the attitude of the world, which the world says, yeah, go ahead. Number four, how do I possess my vessel with respect for another's vessel? Look at the words here. There's kind of a couple different interpretations of the words in verse 6. And I'll try to give you mine. It says, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have also forewarned and testified you. So forewarned you and testified. It's saying that a person we should keep our vessel, possess our vessel with an attitude of sanctification and honor. That I don't go to somebody else, him, somebody else's and overstep my bounds in interacting with somebody else. Defraud, it says defraud his brother. Now the word brother can mean brethren like just the people in the family of God. It can mean brethren. Or it could be speaking of the fact that you're, you're say, a man goes and he indulges with another late woman or young lady. And he's defrauding his brother and that, that lady's dad or husband could be that too. But either way, it's showing us that I should not say, I should just not, think about this. Your vessels belong to God. He occupies it, but you're responsible to manage it. And I don't want to. I don't want to mess up and meddle with you. Unless, of course, I'm your doctor and you ask me to come help you with something, or I'm practicing first aid. But as it relates to this morality thing, man, you know when somebody commits immorality, they're not just committing immorality with themselves. They're causing somebody else to, and they're overstepping their bounds in doing something bad with somebody else, and they're going beyond. And they're not respecting another person's vessel. Let me move on here. Number five. Here's another thing. 
This is the last point. How do I keep my vessel or possess my vessel? It goes back to also just establish personal standards. Again, look at verse 4. It's talking about personal, that every one of you, you individually, should know how to possess his vessel. In other words, some of us, you know what? It's funny. Like if I were to borrow some of your car, some of you, y'all's your car, you'd say, okay, Pastor, you can borrow the car, but you know what? When you get in, you got to make sure you do this and that and notch out that button doesn't work on that thing and, uh, you know, and make sure when you park, you put on the emergency brake and they go, oh, 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 that's how your car is. Okay, I'll do that, you know. And then, because like you know your car and you have certain things it needs and you have, you know, that's particular things about your car. And maybe somebody else's will be a few other different particular things, but some people have particular behavior habits and techniques and practices they go through to in their own car to keep their car going straight and not falling apart or whatever. The Bible says that every one of us should know how to keep our own vessel in sanctification and honor. And all I'm saying to us is each of us should have some personal standards that will help us be morally clean. Again, listen to me. I'm not saying, I'm not preaching just mere morality. Hey, let's all be moral people and sexually pure. I'm not just preaching merely that. I'm, I'm not preaching that we should try to exalt ourselves by saying, you know, I'm just some pure person and exalt ourselves. I'm saying let's, let's try to be, live holy. Let's try to live sanctified life because of God's will, in light of God's will. He says, this is God's will that should be this way. It's not in light of because I get to be an extra cool Baptist that way. No, it's, it's God's will that I live in sanctification and honor. And he's not called me to uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so here's a few examples of, of trying to have a few personal standards that will help us in this area of sexual impurity. By the way, the word, again, fornication means any kind. I said the word pornea. I should have defined it clearly. It means any kind of sexual impurity, any kind. Sometimes we think, oh, fornication, that's when two people are getting together. They've never been married, and they're kind of doing stuff, and they're not married. No, it's any kind. I mean, by definition of God's Word and even how it's used in God's Word, any kind of sexual impurity. And so what do I, I want to, no, 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 I don't want to fall to that. I want to keep myself pure. Every one of us, young and old, and by the way, I've seen fornication as a problem with a 15-year-old and a 50-year-old I've seen it in this church while I've been pastor for 50, 50, the last 15 years. So what do I, what, what's a help thing that would help me as personal standards? I, I, I need to learn, and you should learn, to abstain from unnecessary touch. I say unnecessary touch. That means like if somebody falls in, oh, I can't pick you up. Sorry, girl. Can't help you up. Uh, help her up, guys, okay? You know, oh, no, I don't shake girls' hands. Well, you know, if somebody actually tells you not to do it, the daddy, then don't do that. But that's okay. I think that's okay. But unnecessary touch, like always being chummy with the girls, or the girls trying to be chummy with the boys, or us adults the same way. You know, just respect that your brother, your sister, we're good. You know, unnecessary touch. Abstain from unnecessary touch. You know, not being alone with the person of the opposite gender, that helps. Uh, this is a big one. We all have to. We all have to fight this and go after this. And I'm saying this to you as a pastor because it's a direct, it's directly related as what we're talking about tonight, is we should all tenaciously go after a zero tolerance for nudity. Zero tolerance. 
on our media, on our phones, on our computer, on our TV, whatever new thing. I don't have a computer, I don't have a TV. Whatever you call the new thing that came out that projects in the air or something. I don't know what, I don't care. Whatever it is, a zero tolerance for that. Because it's not, it just doesn't help, especially guys. There's just something in man's nature, we're, we're led astray. That'll help us possess our vessel. And then also avoid frustrating situations. The Bible says, uh, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, godliness, faith with them that call in the name of the Lord. I have a pure heart. You know, I, I, I've told this story before, and I'm just going to tell it again because I hope it encourages you. And I remember, I'll just say, it was, it was my wife and I when we were teenagers in the youth group here. <clears throat> I remember that she, she was probably 15, and I was probably 16. And uh, after church, we would go on Sunday nights, we'd go to like the, a pizza place. I think it was called Pistol Pete's Pizza. It was like a Peter Piper in Chandler. And uh, I liked Deb back then. We didn't really date till we were in college. But I remember um, there's probably five, seven of us that went to this pizza place after Sunday night. We ate pizza and and then I, then I walked outside with her to the parking lot, and I said, uh, I said, I just wanted to ask you something. I said, what would you, what would you, I think I said, what would you say, or what would you, I don't know if I said, what would you say, or what would you do? I said, what would you say if I kissed you? That's what I said. I was 16, she was about 15, and she got this big smile. Well, the first person I'm going to kiss is my husband. And you know what? I'd never heard of that before. I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool thought. And then she smiled and she goes, but thanks for asking. <laughs> that's what she said. And she, she could have handled that pretty tough. Like, what are you talking about, buddy? No, but she said something like, oh, that's a pretty good way of handling it. Like, that's really cool. First person you'll kiss is your husband. That's what she told me. And when she said that, I thought, whoa, she's not just going to you know, go after this handsome-looking 16-year-old dude just because he says, hey. You know, she's going to wait. She was going to wait for her husband. And she didn't even make it sound like it was going to be me. First person I'll kiss is my husband. And I thought, well, of course she didn't say it that way. But... but I thought, this is the truth. I want to be that guy. Yeah. You know? Because when she said that, too, I already kind of, well, you know, I kind of liked her anyways. I was kind of aimed that way anyways. Marriage, I, yeah, I know it's ten, no, five, four years off. But, but when she said that, I thought, yeah. She's got, I respected her more even for saying that and having that assertion respectfully, not like a, you know, snob or anything, but I respected her more for that. And by the way, girls, I'll just, I don't mean this only to be for younger people. It's for all of us. But I want to say to the girls, all the girls in here, young, uh, unmarried, is that 
if you have like a, sometimes girls are afraid to have, say something like that or have a, a standard of I'm not going to touch or I'm not going to kiss or whatever the particular one is. They're afraid because hey, he might not like me. Or you want to dress a little more pushy. You want to kind of push the line on what you're revealing. You do that because you want to be a little bit more of a magnet. I'm telling you, you know, it is an honor to abstain from that petting and to abstain from being immodest and to have a reasonable sense of modesty. It is an honor to do that. And don't fear missing out on the a guy. You'll get the right guy when you present yourself the right way. And uh, I, I, so I, I thank the Lord. She said that to me, and I said, I want to be that guy. And God let me be that guy. He's good to me, better than I deserve. But let's wind this down with a few more thoughts here so we can... Somebody says tonight, I don't know if this is the case, but somebody says, Pastor, you're talking about controlling your vessel. By the way, have any of us, how many of you kids have ever gone to Woods Canyon Lake or a lake like that and, and had the little, how many of you kids, what's the electric motor? Any of you kids ever tried to drive a boat with an electric motor? Raise your hand. Anybody? Or any kind of motor? Anybody? My kids have, my boys. All right. You know what? When I let my boys do that the first time, it's like you go like this. You go like this, that means you go that way with the handle. If you go like this with the handle, that means you go that way. So my boys were one of the times they were at Woods Canyon, like, Dad, I want to do the, I want to do the motor. Oh, can I do it? All right, fine. I was like, well, there's no boats around here, you know? And they're like, nyeh, that means, nyeh. no, you got to turn it the other way. Nyeh, nyeh. No, turn it the other way. No, turn it the other way. Just, just, it's, it's different. It's different <laughs> controlling that vessel. You know, just, yeah, yeah, they're just off course, and <laughs> that's why I'm not letting them do it unless they're, you know, away from the other, <laughs> of the other boats, you know? And so, you like that, Drew? And so, uh, some of us, listen, here's what I'm saying. Well, let me give you another example. I remember one time, my brother-in-law and I, this was funny. It was, it was scary at the time, but it was funny looking back on it. He would even laugh if he was here tonight. We had to go pick up this couple kids for church. Actually, it was, I think it was Brad, Tim Bearden's family, and there was some other, maybe Tim Bearden and a couple kids in his neighborhood over in Chandler. We picked it up in this, this old, they called it the gray car, the Roy's did. Remember the gray car? And I think their grandparent gave it to them. And, and uh, we had the gray car. We go over in this neighborhood, and we pick up a couple kids, Dave and I. Dave's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. We had like three kids, three or four kids in the back. And we, we come out, we're going like this. This is like at Chandler Boulevard, is west, east, Chandler Boulevard. Cooper Road's over there. I don't know what road it was. We were like, this is out of a neighborhood. And uh, the main road's going like this, and we're kind of in a puddle of water like this. And Dave goes like this. He goes, man, that, you know, he's like, I got to get going. He steps on it this Sunday morning. It really wasn't because there was a lot of traffic. I just, he just wanted to step on it. Steps on it, zzz, and he goes, zzz, like that and there was a little uh, irrigation ditch right there it was like we slid slid and slid over and, ah, you know and I'm facing we're facing this way over by the ditch the traffic's now going past this way and we're like ah and we look back at the kids and like ah that was cool you know they like that so that was cool now listen we lost control of that of that vessel there for a while 
Yeah, it's kind of fun. But listen, it is not fun to lose control of our vessel in this area of being morally pure. It's not funny. It's serious. We want to keep it under control. It's more enjoyable when you do keep your vessel under control. So you say, Pastor, I have lost control a little bit. I fumbled the ball. I've lost control. I've slidden off road. What do I do? Well, we, whenever we mess up on anything big or small, we face up to God. We face up to God. We confess our sin. We make, we, we not hide our iniquity. Whoso covereth his transgression is not going to prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes it shall find mercy. If you've messed up in some area, whether it's small or you're getting into porn or there's been an actual physical fornication or you're just kind of a little bit edgy on what you've been viewing, face up to God and say, God, clean me of this. I'm sliding off the road here. And... Um, confess it and beckon his help. Say, help me, God. Help me. And implement some of these things that I've told you tonight. And that's what we need to do. That's exactly what we need to do. God says, possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And then again, the most important thing is that, again, first of all, we make sure, that's just practice. Make sure you're, first of all, your spiritual standing is already settled with, with God. You're you are justified when you put your faith in Jesus. You cannot be justified by keeping a law or keeping a moral standard. You're justified only by believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior. God accepts you as his own because of that. But while we're living, we want to live in a way that pleases God. Let's ask God to help us do that.